Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week, we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Malba Matthew and Dur Lore, your hosts for this season. In this season, we are going to dive into the difficult and complex task of being a part of a community or multiple communities. On today's episode, we're hoping to examine a few intersecting concepts, namely acculturation and internalized racism as it relates to belonging and being in community. I'll be honest, these are complex topics that often get confusing um, in you know, the wider public or popular conversation spaces. So um, I'm hoping that Today, our guest can help illuminate these concepts through her own lived experience and bring to life what it really means to navigate acculturation while also grappling with the idea of internalized racism. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. These are big topics. I, I feel proud of us for pursuing these topics, Melba. And, you know, be- I say that because this is a topic that can bring up some kind of like uh, traumatic you know emotions and so you know uh, so we appreciate our listeners journeying with us uh, today with this topic of assimilation internalized racism but let's move on uh, let's get forward to our guests our guest today is Caroline Lancaster Caroline serves as InterVarsity's associate director for multi-ethnic initiatives uh, she's a second generation South Asian American who's lived in California Singapore Boston and most recently outside of Chicago and she left a career in marketing and design to become a campus minister with InterVarsity at Boston University. Uh, Caroline is a certified cultural intelligence trainer and participated in Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil's Reconciliation Leaders Cohort. Uh, she has been married to her wonderful husband for nine years and is a mother to two boys. Caroline, welcome to Centering. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's good to meet you, Dur, and it's nice to see Melba again. We go way back, back to like elementary school days. So it's fun being able to be here together and have this conversation. Yes, thanks, Caroline, for agreeing to join us today. Um, And I'm especially excited to have you because you have lived in so many different places, including outside of the U.S. I think you can offer us an interesting perspective also by through your experience working with students um, in college who in particular are probably navigating their identity, right? How, and maybe even aspects of being part of different cultures or different communities. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like all of that are, you offer so many rich experiences and I'm excited to hear your take on this. So I think maybe we should start with a definition uh, to kind of set a baseline So the definition that I found for acculturation, it is a process of social, psychological, and cultural change that stems from balancing two or more cultures while also adapting to the dominant culture of society. And uh, it's a process in which an individual adopts and acquires and adjusts to a a different cultural environment than the one that they maybe were used to or were raised in um, or within their home context. And 
yeah, that definition, I want to highlight, you know, the, the process aspect of it because it is a process people take that on in different ways, right? And to different degrees, like how much do I adopt? How much do I adapt? And how much do I maintain my own sense of culture? Do you have anything to add to that definition? I appreciate that definition. I think that it's, I'm more familiar with the term assimilation versus acculturation, Mm -hmm. but assimilation tends to have negative connotations to it, right? But we all acculturate and there's, um, it doesn't always have to be bad. It's just kind of natural as we adjust to the environment around us and it can be expressed in a honoring way. It can be expressed in a way that allows us to navigate a different cultural context. So it doesn't have to be a bad thing. So I appreciate the language of acculturation and processing through that lens versus just assimilation, which kind of makes me feel a sense of like having to lose myself or lose my identity or a sense of erasure as opposed to maybe um, for the sake of adaptation, being a little bit more flexible. Yeah, and I think that's where that idea of internalized racism um, comes into play for me because I don't think it, it, I don't think it's simply, you know, like self-hatred or erasing of the self. It's more complex than that because it has to do with racism, which has to do with systems of power. But yeah, I, I hear you in assimilation has been negative negatively connotated for me because the sense that oh it means I hate myself or I hate my culture or I yeah I I don't want to subscribe to the stereotypes of my culture so I'm just going to abandon it completely and assimilate yeah I think we often hear assimilation you know paired with the word forced forced assimilation Mm -hmm. I think that's left kind of this negative taste in our mouths of like assimilation means um, I must conform to majority culture um, out of my will. Uh, so I appreciate the distinction that we're drawing here and hopefully our listeners can kind of see that difference as well. Yeah. So Caroline, what comes to mind for you when you think about observing and even participating in that acculturation process in, in your own life? So thinking about this brings up processing my experience from different angles one of which is what it means to be a South Asian in a broader white American context in those formative years that um, led to internalized racism that I've only come to awareness of as an adult. So even something as simple as feeling like the weird kid, um, that wrestling with enoughness that I didn't have language for in elementary school, like, I know I'm American, but I'm not the same as my white American friends or like our snack cabinets look very differently, right? Like I, I wanted Gushers and I only had Gushers when I went to my white friend's house. Those were not the snacks that were stocked in my own cabinet. So all of these subtle indirect things that communicated that I am other, that I am different, overlapped with the pain of maybe being rejected by certain friends group, friend groups or being made fun of that were subtly communicating to me something about myself. Like me as a South Asian person, me as other, me as an Asian, it's weird, it's different. Like my house might smell like curry or I'm, it's okay to make fun of me. Um, so I don't think at the time I realized what was being internalized, but as an adult, I think it led to assimilating for the sake of survival, assimilating for the sake of not being made fun of, um, assimilating so that I didn't stand out or feel as weird or othered. Mm. Yeah, for the sake of survival and for not feeling weird 
right? That as a child too, right, becomes like probably the priority. Like, I just don't want to be weird. So let right, me right. be more yeah. like the, um, you know, the white kids, right? And how, how they navigate the world. Did you see yourself um, or recognize that you were trying to be more like them um, in your behaviors? Yes and no. So I actually grew up in a quite diverse context. I grew up in San Jose, really diverse multi-ethnic church. Um, my neighborhood was generally diverse, but you know, there's still like the popular kids in elementary school who all happen to be white. So I think I'm like, oh, they all like NSYNC, they all like Backstreet Boys. Let me do that. But with my church friends, with my family, we're singing like boys to men. And so all of these ways that I'm like, I knew what was welcome in certain spaces and what was not welcome in other spaces. So there was a desire to like, I want to go to a concert, but I'm not allowed to go to a concert. Um, or like the concert that my parents are letting me go to is this like Michael W. Smith concert. So wrestling with those things of, yes, wanting to fit in, which every kid experiences, right? But it's, it is what is overlaid with that, that I'm not thinking through or not paying attention to as a kid. Like certain things only happen with my white friends that don't happen in all these other multi-ethnic spaces or the South Asian spaces that I was in. Wow, that just made me remember, realize that I think the, the efforts or the, the, the things that I wanted to, the ways I wanted to assimilate as a kid were endorsed by my parents if it fit within like white Christian culture. Oh, interesting. When you mentioned Michael W. Smith, that like resonated with me. I was like, oh yeah, so it's like I can be more American if, if it looks like I'm also being more Christian. Uh, but not realizing that the, the Christianity that I was trying to fit into was actually very white. And I didn't distinguish that as a kid. Yeah, as you share that, it, it made me think of my father-in-law, who he's been uh, a Christian for many, many decades now. And um, he had this picture of white Jesus. And I was like, well, have you ever seen, you know, Asian Jesus or black Jesus or, you know, brown Jesus? and no, no, no. As in like two, two weeks ago. <laughs> and so I, I, I Google it and, you know, up comes all these images of brown, black and Asian Jesus. And I could see my, my father-in-law was like, he just chuckled. He's like, ah, like, that's not, a, that can't be a thing, you know? And so like, I'm seeing like in his own generation of his own kind of internalized racism of, or like what we're going to eventually talk about, like white supremacy in the image of Jesus. Um, to where even as this like 60, 60 year old Hmong Christian man, he, it's hard for him to conceptualize Jesus outside of being white. So like how far um, wow. kind of that level of assimilation has within Christianity has seeped into, you know, our parents' generation. And then obviously still in our own generation as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I've never seen an Indian Jesus. <laughs> I have. I'll send you a picture. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, th those examples really bring, like, help kind of trigger, like, that realization, like, oh, this is um, steeped in culture more than I thought, whereas before I felt more like the default is American is, it's a cultural. There's no culture, and I'm just trying to be more American, and I didn't understand that at least as in growing up, 
that was so connected with being white. Right. And it's, it's actually more than just our experience of Asians contrasted against white culture, right? We know that within the Asian, Asian American label, there is a huge level of diversity that I think the United States is like coming to awareness of, but as, as South, as Southeast Asians, we've kind of always known that, um, that the Asian label has generally referenced mostly East Asians or predominantly Chinese people, Japanese, Korean or whatever. So even within that subcategory of what it means to be Asian, I'm like, I have internalized certain things about myself and internalized certain things about what it means to be brown, what it means to be darker and fighting this tension of like a, a racialized label that I have been given, but that's still being very confusing to me. Um, like filling out those forms growing up, I'm like, am I Asian? Am I Native American? I actually don't know for sure which one I should check off. And even processing who I connect with culturally as a South Asian and that not always really being what we refer to as Asian. So I'm curious, Caroline, you've been in with university for a number of years and you've worked directly with students with campus ministry. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And what have you found to be, as you mentioned, there students come in and many of them have these kinds of questions on acculturation, ethnic identity, how that relates to their faith. What have you found to be kind of most helpful uh, model, models or kind of just uh, what do you offer them to kind of help them make sense of it? What do you see as kind of like most effective to help students in that direction? Yeah, we start with personal awareness for students. So a lot of students come and don't always have language to process or reflect on their ethnic or racial identity. Some people have done this intuitively and are more familiar or comfortable with the language just because of their lived experiences than others. So part of it's helping them reflect on their own experience through the lens. We kind of follow the overall arc of scripture. This kind of follows intervarsities, four circles, gospel presentation, beauty, brokenness, redemption, restoration. So we were designed for good, reflecting on our ethnic identities through that lens. How have we experienced brokenness because of racialization, because of the hatred and racism or injustice in the world? What does it look like to invite Jesus into that? And so I think that's the part where students never even conceive of like, what does it mean to give this part of my identity to Jesus. You know, we talk about what it means to give our time to Jesus, our money to Jesus, but when we say we want to um, submit our whole selves under the Lordship of Christ, that includes our identities, the fullness of it, and what does it mean to invite Jesus into that conversation? So that feels like the um, important thing that's different for college students to say, what does it mean to invite Jesus' healing? What does it mean to invite Jesus' affirmation over these pieces of my identity? And it's really powerful, I think, in today's context when there is so much hostility and anxiety and even, you know, for white people, guilt around their identities. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the Christian framework worldview is the only space where we have a place for our shame that's outside of our bodies, a place to put our guilt that's outside of ourselves, a place to put the, um, you know, the sin of the narratives that we have inherited, the sin of our generations, that collective sin. What do we do with that? You know, for some people, it just eats them up inside um, or the, the heaviness and anxiety of dealing with racial hatred on the daily, like that eats us up inside. But to have um, a theological framework to know that we invite Jesus in and he is powerful enough for us to place that pain or that story is to carry all of that for us. 
That's so good. And I, I love, love, love the, how you provide the kind of what you mentioned with the four square or kind of the four points of, you know, fall redemption or beauty somewhere in there. I think that's what, I think that's what we need. You know, I think it's, if we just tell students or if we just tell our brothers and sisters that, you know, they are caught in this web of internalized racism, but we don't offer them a better alternative in Jesus, then I think we're doing people a huge disfavor perhaps and we're we could be leaving them just kind of paralyzed yeah but to then offer and invite them into a journey of no bring that into uh, your journey with with Jesus and um, share that with others um, I think can point us in a new direction that I think many of us um, wouldn't have imagined ourselves going down otherwise if we weren't invited in that journey because again at the start of the show I see a lot of trauma, just a lot of, you know, just a lot of wounds around these conversations of like someone who maybe spent like two or three decades never really being aware of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're being made aware of it (laughs) to the full degree. And it's like, what do you do with that all of a sudden? Right. And so. Right. And this framework helps correctly identify maybe the root or the cause of some internalized racism. So for me, (laughs) a lot of it has been so attached to me buying into the lies of white supremacy and the yeah. the picture that I have for myself of like contorting my leadership, my voice to um, a certain expectation that really is just all about white supremacy. So it's about, you know, letting the Lord nail that to the cross in myself and say, make me a new, renew my mind, renew my heart, renew the ways that my default thinking is to fit into a picture of whiteness rather than let my true self, who God has made me to be as an Indian American third culture kid, woman, mother, sister, friend, like letting that, that fullness and that beauty come out and flourish. Can Absolutely. You, can you say a little bit more about how you, in maybe in the past or you're still working out dismantling your leadership style with you know, this expectation that you conform to white culture or, you know, under white supremacy. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. A lot of this has come out as I have had opportunities to speak at conferences, to lead a seminar, and I felt so stuck into the, you know, what's the one big idea of preaching and um, or what is the general flow that a seminar should be? People should have something to take away. And my body wanted a communal space. My body wanted a place for other voices to contribute to the conversation, but I feel like white male leadership tells me to take up space and make it about me, have something punchy to say, and have everybody be wowed and like want to like send me money on my platform or whatever, right? So, but I was like, what is the collaborative version of this? Am I allowed to do this? Can I incorporate worship and prayer which are values to me into seminars that I do so over the years things have shifted from here's my intro here's my three points here's my action steps to let's start with listening prayer here's some discussion questions can you shape the content and where we go or let me offer my thinking how has the Lord been speaking to you similarly how can we correct each other how can we help all of us together move forward Um, So being able to, part of it's giving myself permission to do that. Permission for me as an Asian American woman has been really significant, not knowing what I'm allowed to do, what I'm not allowed to do. 
and assuming that I'm never allowed to do anything because that was like my upbringing, right? I'm not allowed to do anything unless my parents tell me that I can. So taking that space, trying new things, being creative and finding what fits. So I love team preaching. Who uh, I love team leading. Who else can I bring along when I have a platform space? Who else can I bring to the table? How can I share the mic in that way? And to add one more thing, when I was doing student ministry and InterParsity as a whole movement is, is moving in this direction, but it was how can I release my leadership as a staff to the students? So as much as I can, how can this be a student-centered movement? And that, that necessarily doesn't grit against the typical uh, white male leadership style or whatever, but there is a, a value in honoring those that are younger than you. I had a value for letting the students be in charge of the ministry and as much as I could, letting them set the agenda. How do they want to reach their friends? What kind of space do they want this Bible study or this large group fellowship to be? How can I release power and control and not be the one that has to call all the shots, but let the students have the say? That's really awesome. In my context, that would be like confronting a lot of the Hmong American hierarchical structures of like the older you are, if you're married, you're considered uh, wiser or more competent than if you're younger and single, you know, and like if you're young and single, don't talk, don't lead kind of thing. So I, I love how it's, it's confronting kind of like double status quo on, on both sides. I like that. That's so true. Yeah, it's empowering, but in a way, in a, it's like this third way almost, right? Because I, I don't really see that empowerment happening in a predominantly like Asian space. I don't see it necessarily happening in a predominantly white space. And so in some ways you've created this third way. Right. Um, is that intentional on your part? Like, do you feel like you're having to be creative in, in order to provide leadership that isn't perpetuating internalized racism? I do have to say that I have seen this semi as a value in the Indian church, right? Like I've seen pastors who care about the youths. Um, The Mm. expression of that care for the youths might be like lead worship um, or do slides for us or um, be involved in this conversation behind the scenes, but not necessarily lead in certain ways. So part of it is thinking about what kind of influence and the shift to like, you can have influence in this particular space versus I'll let you direct where the church goes as a whole or where a denomination goes as a whole. Like, I think that's the shift that is slowly happening. That's the shift that's slowly happening or that needs to happen. In terms of whether or not I'm intentional about that, honestly, part of it just feels like the older I get and the farther removed I am for the college experience, I just need to depend on the students to shape what I'm doing because I'm like, I'm on Instagram and they're like, nobody's on Instagram anymore. We're all on TikTok. So even that shift to what I think would be quote unquote relevant students now are like, who even uses that anymore? So it's almost out of necessity um, that me personally and a lot of other people in university have been pushing towards like, let this be student centered movement, let them shape what we're doing let them be involved, empower them. And really when we do that, we're creating lifelong disciples, right? Because if me as a staff was doing everything and students graduate, they're going to be like, who's the pastor that needs to do this for me? Who's the pastor that needs to lead a Bible study for me, to evangelize for me, to, um, that I can bring my friends to so that they share something? And we might experience this in our churches, but letting students lead things 
helps give them the skills so that when they graduate, they can continue to do this. So one small example, when I was on staff at Boston University, we had two students lead our large group fellowship about race and ethnicity. And mm -hmm. these are like 19 year olds, 18 year olds, one Asian American woman, one white woman, they did a phenomenal job. And I think having the space to lead their peers has given them the confidence out of college to continue leading and facilitating those kinds of spaces because they've had their training ground or practice um, in a space with their friends that they trusted. Yeah, absolutely. As you're sharing this, I'm just getting this picture of like a multi-generational effort at not only dismantling the internalized racism, but then like setting up the next generation to, you know, lead and to create new communities that are not held captive to whiteness, but they're given a new, a new lens and a, and a new empowerment to create something new. And I think that's just really exciting to kind of hear the intentionality and the, the strategy that we're doing with your student leaders on campus. That's really awesome to hear. Yeah, totally. The, the empowerment and the affirmation of voice is I think what battles internalized racism, right? It battles the pressure to assimilate. Mm -hmm. It's me saying, no, you two young women in who God has made you to be, lead this. You can lead this. You're allowed to lead this. You are worth it enough to lead this. So speaking yeah. that empowerment, speaking that affirmation, I think helps counter the lies and the narratives that a lot of us have heard about ourselves growing mm -hmm. up in the indirect and direct ways. How do we reshape through direct and indirect ways um, the affirmation of who people have been made to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This conversation is totally reminding me of the ways that me doing the work of confronting my own internalized racism, um, the ways I haven't felt enough, whether it be against white culture or Asian culture, um, doing that internal work has totally freed me to embrace my whole self and actually do the same for the next generation. So I think the values that I'm naming and, and applying to my work is because I have experienced that for myself and seeing how freeing it has been in my leadership and my voice to not be conformed to these things and to explore who I am. So it's exciting thinking about what it means to raise up this next generation of, of students, of young people who have that freedom and flexibility to step into the fullness of who they are. Yeah, as we have are wrapping up this conversation, um, I'm coming from it from a pastoral lens, and I'm thinking to myself, how do I have these conversations on acculturation and internalized racism with um, you know brothers and sisters in my church or um, you know outside even? And uh, I I think it's really important to pay attention to kind of where the other person is at as we talk about this process of acculturation or better understand dismantling white supremacy or internalized racism. Um, I, I'm just really sensitive to putting on too much uh, on that person to to carry uh, that it, it would you know cripple them or debilitate them, but rather you know calling calling it out, giving them a lens for it. But then as what I've heard, you know, university do such a good job at is then providing them this, um, you know, empowering them and providing them like a better alternative. Um, and so I just, you know, I, my encouragement for, for us and for our listeners is as we have these conversations about uh, dismantling and terminalized racism is that we would really keep the other person in mind, our conversation partners in mind in terms of assessing where they're at and to have this conversation um, that would leave them 
within a place of hope rather than at a place of defeat. Yeah, it's so personal, right? The journey, the process of reconciling your identities, um, figuring out, you know, what can I embrace? What can I, or what do I need to renounce even? That's such a personal journey. So I appreciate you saying we have to be sensitive to that while empowering, right? Empowering um, each other to to co-create, right? To co-create a culture, co-create a community that embraces different values, different norms, that doesn't set up one, you know, one thing, one culture as supreme or the standard, but allows for us to be enriched by the fact that we, there's so many, right, to offer and that God's created so many different cultures and perspectives and identities. So thank you, Caroline, for joining us today. Of course, like always, it feels like we just scratched the surface, but we hope that this prompts our listeners to think more about their own journey, their own process of figuring out what it means to be American, to co-create American culture, and to also embrace their Asian American Christian identity. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. This is Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in each week as we discuss community and identity. And remember, God loves and embraces all of who you are.